You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Peer Pleasure. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you more great content week after week. This week is a guest I have been trying to get on this show for several years. Uh, We finally connected uh, through a mutual friend of ours, Mr. Daniel G. Harmon, uh, a former guest of the show as well from DistroKid. Chris Hanna from Propagandi has not evaded me for years. Uh, We just couldn't connect. And we finally did. It took about another four or five months to schedule it and get it together because um, we're both extremely busy and where he lives and where I live are very different uh, as far as time zones and, and getting things scheduled, uh, how they how they could work. Um, so this was a really special one because it did take so long to get it done. Uh, but I do definitely enjoy those because once it happens, it, it's like... I don't know. There's something about it, like the not the buildup necessarily, but there's something about just the amount of effort put in and and time and and things like that that just make it special. And and I really had a blast on this one. I did have a couple things I asked him that you know came stream of consciousness, like he always does. But it, I think I maybe worded some things wrong, and I was worried that I had offended him because uh, of the way I worded something and and. Uh, tried to correct it but uh it's pretty it's pretty funny to listen to because <laughs> he's kind of shocked like he's like man i'm shocked to hear that uh you'll you'll know exactly what i'm talking about but you know i leave all that stuff in here because this is a real thing and and 
people come on the show to to have real talk and and be real people for a minute and it, it just really it's just something special so i hope you guys really enjoy this one as much as i did uh chris is an awesome guy and i've been a fan of propagandi forever and uh just a a solid solid person with um you know a great conversationalist and tons of great stories and people have requested him like crazy so i i'm so glad to get this one done uh we'll definitely have him on for a part two uh, we'll be keeping in touch and, and and working on that um and there's more propaganda stuff coming up on this podcast here in the coming weeks uh i did take another week off last week i've work has been absolutely insane uh i did 84 hours last week and uh i'm pretty tired so uh finding time to get this done 100 percent um because i'm not going to half-ass it so i you know i need time to to sit down and actually do this um and i you know i want it to be genuine for you guys as well uh, as for me which i think we've done over the last seven years and i'm really really proud of this and um thank you guys for coming back week after week and sticking with me um i really appreciate that as well so let's get some business out of the way and we will jump into this episode with chris so peerpleasurepodcast.com is the website peerpleasurepod at gmail.com is the email if you want to get in touch with me uh we also have the facebook group the peer pleasure podcast inner circle and we also have the premium service which is peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm if you want to support the show that way financially that'll get you the ad free feed the episodes of the past cast as well as the old videos of the episodes uh, I am putting this one up on YouTube. We do have some other ones up there. If you want to go check that out, subscribe to the channel. Uh, I don't put a bunch of effort into YouTube because I just don't believe in it as much as I do the audio version of what this show is. Um, but this one will be up there if you want to go watch it as well. Um, man, guys, I am. Let's get into this one. I've, I've rambled on long enough. Here is my conversation with Chris Hanna from Propagandi. I'm not too bad. Sorry I'm late there. Just everything's behind today. 
It's okay, my man. I, I appreciate you doing this, dude. It's been uh, a long time coming. I love, I, I kind of like when things take time like this because <laughs> it means more when it happens, I guess. Is what <laughs> I've had guests that have taken four years to work it out. I've had guests Holy that have taken smokes. three hours, like it's it's all across the board um, okay so i don't i don't feel so bad now no not at all i was just i was <laughs> I, I usually give it about half hour 45 minutes um and then i'll just either move to the next thing or or start doing other studio stuff yeah. and hang out because it's happened m many times traffic yeah. whatever it is um yeah so no big deal dude i just appreciate the time man and and uh making time to do this i've been a fan of what you do for a very long time um, oh, awesome. Thanks, Dewey. And uh, yeah, this, you've been on my list for a long time as well. And and you get requested constantly for my listenership. And uh, it's just been, it's been a, uh, a good ride, man. Cool, man. Right on. But, um, uh, I'll, I'm going to apologize also for the state of this room. I don't know if this is going to be a video thing, but it's just, I mean, the kids have been down here just tearing shit apart. So it's Usually looks a little nicer. <laughs> I understand, man. This is see, this is why I can't work from home. Like I can't <laughs> I can't create at home because I can't separate myself from from the house, from the from the home life to create. Like I've never been able to have the band in the basement of my house. Like it's right. always in a practice space or a garage somewhere or somewhere, even walking to the garage, separating myself from that uh from the home. And being kind of at work, I guess is the. It's is that where a, you are now in the garage? Or no, I'm in a studio oh. now. I have a studio. Uh, oh, you have a separate studio? Yeah, I have a buddy who. It's actually it's kind of it's still DIY. Like it's uh, a buddy has. Uh, he's a station manager for a radio station here called X Ray FM, and during COVID, he's like, "Hey, no one's using this production office. Oh, wow. do you want to use this?" And I was like, "Absolutely." First, first couple of years of this podcast, I did it from my car, and then I did it from my <laughs> van. Yeah, yeah. I would do it in my union hall. I'm a I'm a construction uh, um, a commercial plumber. Uh, after I stopped touring, so I would use my union hall classrooms like anywhere I could do this from. Yeah. And when I finally settled in with a studio place to go, I still tear everything down and put it in a in a Pelican case that has locks on it. I never get to right. just walk in and and start. Oh man! But I like yeah. that because it gives me that uh, I'm never comfortable. Like it's always there's always something. <laughs> it keeps me hungry, you know, because yeah. once you get comfortable, it's, it's, it's all over. Yeah, that's probably true. I don't know, you know if you feel the same way with music or any of your pursuits, getting too comfortable just kind of takes the fun out of it. I think it might, I've never been comfortable, so I'll never find out. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's always something up here too. Yeah, dude. I, first time I heard propaganda was our propaganda depending on where we're at i'm i'm in portland oregon so i say propaganda but um i'm sure you hear that every interview uh i i don't even know which one it is anymore <laughs> uh i come from a small town in alaska called wasilla um outside of okay. anchorage and we picked up a survival of the fattest comp at mammoth music for two dollars and 99 cents and uh we went through that thing for so long like that was one of the one cds we had at the time and that we really were like this is something new and that's where i first heard your band i believe it was nation states and that song always stuck out to me there's something different about you guys and i think it was hmm. 
I can't, still can't put my finger on what it was, but there was something different and it just kept me coming back. And I've been a fan ever since. But those formative years of, of getting those comps and hearing all that new music was so crucial for us in a small, like, you know, it was a snowy time of year. Like it was just isolated and desolate. Yeah. And that music just, it just spoke to us. So, yeah, I kind of grew up the same way in, uh, on the blizzard strewn prairies. So, you know, mm-hmm. comps like in the eighties and, uh, especially for me in the eighties, it was comps that, uh, you know, all this, the, the pre-internet vibe of getting a comp, I don't know. I don't know what the modern equivalent is, but yeah, it was like, you get this, this buffet of potential, yeah, everything sounded different and was crazy. The recordings were different. It was, yeah, it was an exciting time. Yeah. Comp. And the early nineties had a bit of that vibe too. Yeah. Like you're talking about. Yeah. It was, it was just like, we could go and spend, I mean, this was before we had jobs. Like we could, you know, it was either allowance money or doing yard work or, you know, we would mow lawns for people. Like our drummer was one year older and he got a job first. And so he had a little money. And we would do like mail order and stuff like that. We're like, dude, we can get this much music for three bucks. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. You go somewhere else, you buy a record, a full record. It's, you know, over mail order was 10 bucks or something like that. But you go to the store, it's $18. It's like, it's crazy. Yeah. But um, that was the first time I heard you guys. And I didn't see you guys live till 2005. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and that was in Portland at a club called Loveland. Um I remember that. It's old like brick. It's now a brewery. Okay. Um, but it, I worked there and I lived there for years while I was oh, yeah? touring. Uh, so I, I could live there for free, work for cash under the table, doing production and stuff like that, and then had an office space I slept in upstairs. Oh, so wow. I saw you guys, then went up and went to sleep in the same venue. <laughs> Super weird. But, uh, <laughs> did you ever have places like that, like growing up like through the early years, like – kind of squatting um, in places like that for to make it no not no i mean our house that we lived in punk houses so mm-hmm. it was in winnipeg it was really super cheap and so you'd practice in there you'd have basement sh- i guess i guess so it wasn't like a bar or anything or, or a, a, a real venue but we, touring bands would play our houses and then we'd sleep there they'd sleep there um so sort of yeah. but not quite it's a weird spot to be in to tour, be around music all the time, and then come home and sleep with bands. Pra- there was a practice space in the basement, so I'd hear bands yeah. all night. I almost started to hate music for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't shut it off, but yeah, uh, yeah, it was incredible to see you guys live too. Like it was just everything made more sense. Like oh, I cool. didn't even I you know didn't know what people looked like. It was just the music, and then seeing it portrayed live, of course, is always something incredible. But um, yeah just good stuff dude i i had kind of a weird way i was going to start this conversation because i've been interviewed a million times everyone talks probably about the same things but there you fall into this category amongst and i'll say this amongst podcasters um people that do interviews and things like that there's a few people in these scenes where people are almost afraid to talk to them and i don't know why uh Three off the top of my head, you included, is you, Buzz from the Melvins, and Fat Mike. Everyone is super nervous to talk to you guys, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because, um, you know, you you're, from what I've gathered, have 
pretty solid views on what you what you believe, what your value system is, all that stuff. And I think people get intimidated by that. I know Buzz, people are weird because he kind of finishes sentences later and so throws <laughs> off the, the I've had him on twice, almost yeah. three times. And uh people are always like, Oh my god, you talked to like how how was it? It was great. And yeah, then yeah. Fat Mike answers the question you wished wished he was asked, as you know. <laughs> And I went to his house in, in California and interviewed him in his pool. But people, like, they're always nervous. Like, when I mentioned I was going to talk to you, like, I got DMs like, what are you going to say? Oh, my God. Like, what? Huh. You know, there's this weird mystique. And I don't know if you see that or if you've got wind of that ever. No. No, I just, you know, uh, no, I'm kind of, I'm a little surprised to hear that I, uh, yeah, I'm not super strident. I mean, the records, you know, everything is sort of distilled and all the ideas are distilled and condensed into this moment on a record mm -hmm. and it, maybe it comes across as um, somebody with a bad personality. But, uh, and, uh, but I, yeah, no, I, I like, I, I don't go on tangents much anymore about, about what I believe. Like it's all, kind of on record and uh you know they can elaborate here and there but i don't really feel the need or the use in beating people over the head with what i think sure i think i maybe i put that wrong like i think they're more intimidated by maybe the amount of research or you know what i mean like when you spend a lot of your life in the public eye and put a lot of your views out there maybe people that are getting into some of those views feel intimidated i guess maybe is more the word and intimidation that they put on themselves that maybe they're not mm. worthy or not up to par to speak on these things. And they're nervous because of that. I think that's more what it is, but it's, it's always something that's been brought up when I talk about, Oh, I really want to talk to Chris or well, what are you going to say? Like, what do you, what are you going to do? You know, it's, it's always like, there's always followed with something. And I find that fascinating, huh? you know, cause yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah. Cause I, I've anything I've seen with you, you're just a, just an awesome dude. Like just like, <laughs> shoot the shit, joke around. Like everyone thinks people are so serious all the time. Um, you know, anyone that says what they think instead of just writing funny songs, you know, I think people, uh, just are like, Oh, this guy's a, you know, going to be a, a rigid hard ass, you know, but right. it's completely yeah. the opposite. And, uh, yeah. Anyways, that was just something that was on my <clears> mind <throat> when I was, when I was getting into this because, um, you know, uh, I just, my mind goes these weird tangents that way. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you mentioned kids uh, tearing up the house. Um, and I'm, I'm genuinely curious, like as a father myself, like how things have changed in your, in your world since having kids, like things that you, maybe things you abandoned um, since having kids. And also you probably weren't raised the same way you're raising your kids. I would imagine I, you probably came I think I remember hearing you came from a, like a military family. Yeah, that's right. My dad was air force. Okay. Yeah. So probably differing views from what you have now back then, which probably shifted in your early adolescence, I would guess. Um, what's it like raising, I guess you wouldn't know the other way around. This is kind of confusing, but you know, where raising your kids your way, are you seeing a big difference from how you were raised and, and how, how the outcome is, I guess, now that they're probably older? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I wouldn't even say it's got so much to do with me or my partner who mm -hmm. co-parents with the kids. It's like, obviously, 
that factors in, but the shift, <clears throat> at least where we live, you know, yeah, we live sort of in central Winnipeg and uh, the shift culturally, socially in uh, the public schools, at least in, in the public schools, we've had our kids in compared um, to the culture of the eighties in the small town schools I went to, um, like it's, it's almost radical compared to what we, you know, what we were asking for, you know, uh, in the early, in our early twenties, like how, how do we want society to be? What, what should we be teaching the next, next generation about? A lot of that stuff is actually has come to pass in the schools. Um, and like, it's, it's, I feel like, like indigenous issues or, or, or trans issues, uh, uh, all these things are being addressed in our schools. Again, in our experience mm -hmm. in positive community focused ways. And, um, you know, like to, to have that in your back pocket compared to the, to having to fight against, um, to fight against the school system to, you know, to have this tug of war with your, your, your child in how they perceive the world and how they treat other people to not have to do that tug of war with the public school system in our experience is it's so different. You know, I, um, things have, things have caught up in some ways, in some communities, in our neighborhood, it definitely has in a lot of ways, obviously, um, part of the, some of the curriculum I think is, is still, there's, there's a ways to go to get to where, you know, the things that say, if you're looking at our records and imagining how I perceive the world and how the world could be, um, there's still a lot left to be desired, but it's so different than when I was a kid. Like you, we were just being thrown to the wolves and like we had teachers molesting us. We had coaches beating us up, uh, every, you know, kids beating the shit out of each other all the time. Mm -hmm. Parents beating kids in front of other kids, like just, it was chaos. And that just is not, um, and that affects the foundation of the generation. Right. Mm -hmm. And to, to have, for me, comparing the world that my kids are, are like, it's not perfect and there's problems and, you know, people get unhinged and, and there's always going to be conflict and confrontation, but, um, the foundation they have having things like, um, having, having say a hockey team where, where the coaches come out at the beginning of the year and are like, okay, here are the things we're not putting up with homophobia, transphobia. Actually, we have like, even the coaching, uh, materials, the, the training materials, they include trans issues. It's like, I, I couldn't believe it when I was looking at it. I was like, holy shit, this is like, this is what everybody was asking for 20 years ago. And it's here in, in my kids, soccer and hockey, uh, coach training, um, curriculum. So it's a much different foundation for, again, I'm talking about my personal experience in my very small part mm -hmm. of the world. This is, it's probably very different in other parts of my city, but, um, uh, but it's been, 
in terms of in terms of not having to be in conflict with institutions that my kids um are involved with is a huge step up from what it would have been like if i had kids 20 years ago mm -hmm. or or 30 years ago um where you'd have to you'd have to essentially debrief your children about the um the actual history of uh settler colonialism versus indigenous people mm -hmm. you'd have to undo what the school was telling them at the time whereas today kids come home they'll tell me about you know what what really went down in our history and and uh and it's it's an interesting transformation and um yeah i just can't i, I can't believe it sometimes so yeah pretty happy about it that's incredible that's an incredible step up that's it we had being in Alaska, we always had, uh, these big parties, um, like the Alaska natives would come out and do, we'd have their food and watch them dance and, and do their Olympics. And we were so ingrained in that culture up there. I feel really blessed for that. Um, being aware of that kind of thing, because like, I don't feel like it was the same down here in those days, um, mm. where it was so embraced um and respected and and like know where you're at like know where you're living like know the history instead of just assuming it's it's always been and, and always will be this like that was something that was really special but what you're saying with not having to debrief your kids like same way we've been doing homeschool with our kids because of they were school age and then covid hit so we kind of just kept going with the homeschool thing for now yeah but to not have to not have to debrief your your children and the school like the like you said the institution supporting what you believe is is uh, that's huge I, yeah I, it's a and, huge win and I, and I should i should add that we're constantly debriefing the kids when they encounter a lot of mainstream pop culture mm -hmm. you know movies television music um radio so not not to i'm not trying to paint like this idealistic picture of, mm -hmm. of, of our experience in culture at large. I'm just saying, I guess what I was trying to emphasize was we've been very lucky mm -hmm. with the immediate institutions, sport institutions, education, uh, public education system. So far we've been very lucky, but there is still a lot of debriefing that has to happen. Um, every time they go on the internet, it's like, you know, they see something, it's like, what did you think of that? You know, like why or something in the news? What do you think of that? Here's what I think. And, you know, there's, um, we're not just, it's not hands off. Yeah, of course. Do you remember uh, some of the like pivotal things that you stumbled upon growing up that really affected you in that way? Like when you say like hopping on the internet, like my daughter sees stuff all the time. That's just like freaks her out and we always have to talk about it. But growing up like uh, i grew up in the 80s like i was born 82 so like the 80 late 80s were more my heyday of discovery before i hit teen years where my parents were very i grew up in a mormon household so they were very uh hands off but also a lot of rules uh, you mm -hmm. could just kind of go do what you wanted in those days go hop on your bike and come back at dinner time like that's just how it went we weren't parented really it just kind of like the parents were kind of doing their own thing it seems like we kind of raised ourselves in a way um but do you remember some of those 
pivotal, like things you stumbled across or happened to see like a friend's house or things like that, that really kind of like open, either opened your eyes or really kind of changed the way you saw the world. Kind of a broad question, I guess, but. Yeah, well, I mean, it did. The first, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind are the negative things mm -hmm. that, that I saw, <clears throat> that I saw as a kid. And that was, um, a whole string of scenarios that caused me to, um, distrust most adults. And, uh, um, um, and I'm not sure I ever really let go of that. And as a result, you know, it, I think my experience as a youth was similar to yours in the sense that we were completely like feral. Mm -hmm. Um, we just were just went anywhere. Like nobody was wondering where we were, uh, for most of the time in most situations and no parents that ever did anything fucked up were ever held accountable. Mm -hmm. Um, so there, you know, that kind of cut both ways that that sort of freedom because it's just the way it was it was crazy but uh i don't know if that's what you meant when you're asking that but that's the first thing that comes to mind no that's absolutely what i meant i mean good or bad like things that changed you um you know because we always see like the first time uh this uh, we always end up going somewhere deep in these things but like when i the first time i saw uh a fr i went to christmas break for school in middle school a friend and her brother of mine um, was killed in a car accident. I went to the funeral. I probably shouldn't have because it was open casket. It was the first time I saw someone I knew that was gone. And being from a religious household, that this isn't the end, um, it was the end. And I saw it on their face and I felt it in my soul. I, I threw up for four months after that every morning of anxiety it changed my world. It changed my mm. life. And that was a, a negative thing, but also opened my eyes to the reality, you know, growing up in Alaska where things can kill you at any moment are all around you, not just people, but animals. And it's, it's, it's rough respecting that, that reality that we have what we have and it's gone and in my mind, in my opinion. Um, that was where I learned that. That was a negative, but also worked into a positive later because it changed my way of thinking to question what my parents were saying, to question what the church people were saying, to find my own way and find my own beliefs and find friends that reinforced that with me all stemmed from that one event as negative as it was. So that's kind of what I was getting at is like, maybe not as, as morbid or anything, but like things that, you know, first time I saw Batman with Michael Keaton scared the shit out of me. But it's it it warmed me up into watching other movies that I would come to soon enjoy and stop being so scared of things like that. Right. Realizing it's a movie. You know, things like that. They shift you because mm -hmm. you're raising yourself. You're feral, like you said. You're out there, you know, catching frogs. You're a young kid. What happens if I do this? Kind of things like you're exploring and you're doing things that may be bad, may be good, but you're figuring out through experience, not being told what's right and wrong. So there's some trial and error right. there, but like, I guess that's kind of my long, long formed question of, of those things that they hit you. And it sounds like yeah. those things you saw with adults, uh, behaving badly, you know, I guess to put it in a way. I guess yeah. It, and I, I guess, I guess the point you sort of made the point there is that it also cut both ways. My mistrust of, 
of adults in general, people in general, I suppose, mm -hmm. by that point, was, um, I, I suppose, laid a foundation um, for wondering about what else is what else is fucked up about this whole system that I mm -hmm. currently think is working? Um, on the other hand, you know, it, I, I feel I was really robbed to not to be able to trust your community is that's a, that's fucked up. Yeah. And, uh, I was kind of, I felt, I feel kind of robbed of that. And one of the things we've emphasized with our kids is to, we're trying to build trust and respect and integrity in our immediate community mm -hmm. and uh so far so good knock on wood mm -hmm. but uh yeah but yeah that was an interesting point you made well thank you i i community is everything like community is uh, that's one thing i think covid kind of thrust us back into is realizing what's important what's close to us and starting starting small like starting close like it, starting exactly where you're at in the world will have a ripple effect and a lot of ways in a lot of ways you can get those those things you want to get across to more people in from starting small starting close to home um did you find that same thing with covid like bringing you closer into your community or were you already pretty ingrained in the community to where you just kind of just not blew by but you were already set up um, I think, yeah, we were, we were already set up in our own little niches. A lot of it revolved around, um, youth sports really okay. in our, in our neighborhood and, um, like recreational rec league sports, but a really tight community is built in our neighborhood around that. And it's, it's not a, it's not a, um, an out of control, unhinged must win kind of culture. It's just. It's just a, we all find a common interest there. And a lot of the kids, the peers are all interested in, in doing this at different levels, different experience levels, different skill levels. And it's, it's helped. Um, I think it's really previous to COVID, it was really building. And when COVID hit, we kind of pulled together, you know, we were doing a lot of outdoor sports despite the lockdown. And, uh, it was, a, it was really a way to get through the whole thing and keep the kids socialized and keep them moving, keep them active and thinking and interested and looking forward to something. Um, so that, that's how it worked for us. Okay. Are you coaching too? Yeah. Again, just like rec league. Yeah. Soccer, rec league, hockey. But what's awesome there is you are now one of those figures that you probably couldn't trust as a kid. Like yes. You are exactly the opposite and like what you were fighting against and, and trying no, to overcome. I, I should also say like I had some coaches and some gym teachers that were amazing, mm -hmm. but there was enough crazy shit that happened that, uh, yeah, I, I, part of the reason I wanted to insert myself into the coaching dynamic when the kids were old enough to start, um, showing an interest in sports was because I wanted to make sure, you know, like I want to keep an eye on everything. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and as a result of having a lot of really good experiences around this, you know, I think I've rebuilt some of that trust in, in people, even in, you know, intense situations where 
things can get really heated and tempers can flare and uh, amongst the coachings, coaching staff and the kids. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. And it, uh, I think it helps everybody involved in that uh, learn to how to navigate um, conflict and confrontation Mm -hmm. in a high intensity situation while still trying to achieve a goal or results. So yeah, it's all good. I wish they would teach that kind of stuff in school or just on a broader scale of how to resolve conflict. Because so I feel like growing up, we would back in Alaska, we, and not to keep tying it back to this, but it's, it's all I know. But like if someone was going to get in a fight between someone from another school, like there's two or three schools right in the area, everyone would hop in a truck and go over to that school and everyone would circle them so the cops couldn't get through if they got called and they would just beat it out of each other it was brutal and you know even being in construction too like i'm dealing with so many different personalities so many people with very differing views from mine uh in the construction industry um but resolving conflict without losing your mind and without resorting to violence and and there's just so many other ways to handle things and i just don't think mm-hmm. we're taught that very well uh or we weren't taught that very well i don't yeah. think we were taught to handle money very well uh <laughs> another stress like of just trying to like maintain some kind of household with with like the bills paid and maybe a little bit of savings and not paycheck to paycheck and especially as touring musicians like uh it's hard to do that um mm-hmm. You know, because you're always like hand to mouth all the time. But I wish they taught stuff like that more in a in like a formal setting where where it was kind of uh, more broad, like where where you could learn from at home. Like you kind of see how your parents interact with each other. You see how uh, your close family interacts with each other. You know, if your parents are fighting all the time, that's how you're going to kind of figure things out. But if you could go and you know learn from someone who's trained on kind of how to disarm things and did you know i think -hmm. it's something that's really missed you know we would just get in fights or yeah you know uh it was awful i think back on it how many awful situations could have been avoided with words and we just didn't do that we just react you know i'm sure you saw a lot of the same things you know uh yeah for sure i wish it was taught in a way that was uh productive but Maybe it, maybe it is somewhere. I've not seen it unless you go sign the, up for a class. Again, in, in our personal experience, I, I know that there is some part of the curriculum or some part of the culture in the schools we've experienced so far. There is, there is some conflict resolution being imparted on the kids. You know, it's, there's so many kids and so many conflicts. There's only so much that you can put into practice in these in a, in a school setting, but, um, it's better than what it was. Yeah. Like you're saying, instead of just people fighting after school or whatever, you know? Yeah. There's always, the especially, worst. especially when it's, it's often was like a, someone getting bullied into a fight mm-hmm. instead of like people, you know, it's one thing to be in, in a consensual and regulated fight. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to just be provoked into something you don't want to be in. Yeah, and then no one else stand, steps up. They just kind of stand yeah. and watch and cheer. And yeah. Why do we like to? Why do we like to see people fail? And why do we like <laughs> to see people hurt? Like, 
look at this thing today. Like you saw the Titanic news probably. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then you immediately, if you, and I don't know if you're on social media or not, I very rarely am, but you start seeing memes popping up already about things. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's about what they're, what they're, they're, uh, that they were billionaires or things like that, where it's like, right. I could have just gone out and done this myself, but thanks a lot for the, you know what I mean? Very like, very interesting way of people reacting to this. Um, yeah. Because social media incentivizes people being flippant mm -hmm. about um, death and destruction or the uh, of of imagined or real adversaries mm -hmm. in life. And there is there's something to there is something to the dichotomy of endless resources being put towards the the what I think is the righteous um, cause of trying to save these people that were caught in this uh submersible but when you compare it to the i'm sure this is happening on social media too all the 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 migrants they got like i think there was 300 migrants drowned in the mediterranean like 10 days ago or something and you know it's not even in the news there were no resources mm -hmm. deployed to save them in fact as i understand the story there was resources deployed to get them out away from the land towards the water and uh you know so i can i can see the the kernel of truth that frustrates people about that but but yeah i i, I one of the reasons i despise social media is that it, it does incentivize acting like that acting flippant about really horrible situations mm -hmm. so yeah i'm on the same page i think as you it's it's rough to see and uh, i had not and shame on me i did not hear about that at all about those well, migrants and it's not i'm in shame on I, global media i suppose it's horrible it's terrible and to yeah to just trying to get them away of uh this stuff infuriates me but i i yeah i'm the only social media i have is basically for the show and that's it to post when there's a new episode and but with that i still get a feed of stuff right. and i, I yeah. just want to just get rid of it all together and it 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 kind of brings me to another point of something i like of what you're doing uh with your patreon and this is a weird segue patreon but you you post your content on patreon i your patreon's awesome by the way i'm a member of your patreon but oh, the, thanks. the um how you do the podcast and stuff like that like you you have like a I wouldn't say it's a paywall because there's a pay what you want. There's a suggested price. You know what I mean? It's not like you pay me this and you get this, but it takes appointment listening. Like, like, um, podcasts, they call it appointment listening. Cause you kind of, you see what you want and you pick it. You don't just get it shoved in your face. So a lot of times it's kind of skewed when you get feedback. Cause the people listening are people that wanted to listen. It's not like you put it on the radio and they're driving their car and just happen to hear it. And, and Hey, this is great. Or Hey, this is terrible. Right. But that putting it only on the Patreon takes it to a whole nother level of where you can control what's out there. Uh, it kind of weeds out people that um, maybe kind of like kind of fly by and, and check things out. It kind of you, you really can dedicate to a dedicated listenership and audience in a way that's not using the social media side of things. And I think that's really cool. Um, I'm not sure if that's what you're setting out to do, but from the way I see it, I, I view it that way is you can control exactly what's going out 
and you have your your close group of people that are interested in what you're doing, but it doesn't have the other side of that really, where you get all these outside influences and things like that just like barraging you in ads and things like that. I really think that's cool. Thanks a lot. I, I think initially the reason um, I, I chose $3 mm -hmm. as, as the minimum pledge because I thought, what would dissuade me from just trolling something? Like $1, I might pay a dollar to go troll some fucker that I hate. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually wouldn't, but you know, I'm just trying to be, <laughs> be in somebody's, put myself in a troll's shoes yeah. who, who just wants to bring things down. And $3 seemed like psychologically that might do it. Yeah. And I, cause I just can't, I can't deal with that stuff mm -hmm. anymore. I can't, I'm uh, psychologically beaten by um, the general tone of social media across the political spectrum. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. It makes me dislike people. So that, that was sort of the idea there. And I, and I, there is a large caveat on the front of the Patreon page where anybody has no money, you just email me and I'll give you anything on there mm -hmm. because, you know, I just, I just want to stop the trolls. Um, that, that's why there's a public paywall, but you know, especially like people on low, low incomes, people who are incarcerated, whatever the case, mm -hmm. they just, they can contact me and I'll give them the whole fucking thing. Um, I just don't want bad vibes on that page. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be kind of fun, like thoughtful, but also I'm, I was just trying to have fun with the thing. So it's not fun when people are all sniping each other. Yeah. But you, you've got your own community. It's community again. Like you now have that community as well. Like it's, and you, you kind of, I like, that's a good, that I didn't even think of that. Just kind of keeping the trolls out for a, a minimal fee. And yeah. I know there's a few people that do like, you get half the podcast and the other half is subscription or whatever. But if you're incarcerated or, you know, you can email on a case by case basis and get in there. Um, I just really like how you put it together. Um, the content's fantastic and uh, well worth a few dollars a month. I mean, think of how many, and this show too, this show's free. Almost every podcast out there is free. We put a lot of work into these things yeah. and a lot of time like you. And even with you, like you're, you're giving an, an hour of your time for nothing to hang out and chat. And then hopefully someone gets something from this and I'm sure they will, but like the amount of work and time and gear and, and things like that uh, are just free. <laughs> it's incredible. Like it's, it's, it's <sighs> incredible. It's lasted this long. Think if Apple charged 25 cents an episode, like the amount of money that we made from that would be astronomical with yeah. how many are out there. Um, yeah. But, you know, all the podcasts about basket weaving or, uh, you know, um, fly fishing, like there's the millions of different uh, subjects. Is it kind of skewing towards subscription though? Is that what's happening? Like, I don't, I'm not really locked into the apple podcast stuff but last time i went on it looked mm -hmm. like there was like lots of maybe maybe what they were doing was um offering subscriptions to avoid ads yes they're they're doing like a subscription where you can put bonus content like what you're already doing on your patreon okay. is yeah. essentially what they're trying to do is is do like a um a premium kind of content which is something i really struggle with the network pushed pushed me to do like a like a like a, a pay by the month kind of thing What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms, 
They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, they have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working, as most people are, online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online, and splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits, and all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, tier one, Tier 2 and Tier 3. Tier 1 is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier 2 gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier 3 is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the Passcast. The Passcast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. 
Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So, so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of, of that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of, of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month. Cause I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. But I don't want to change the show. I don't want to cut right. parts of this chat that you and I are having out to have someone pay for it later. Right, get the right, full right. episode here. I won't do it. I won't split them into separate parts. If it's three hours long, it's three hours long. I won't split it right. into two parts to get more downloads. All these things people try to get you to do, I refuse because it. The art is the conversation. It's it. It's that's <laughs> what people want. If you want to put out video, you want to put out other content. It's for that specific reason to try to get money. Um. So aside from what the actual podcast is, so that Apple subscription thing I th is fairly new. I think one yeah. of the shows on the network's doing is like four ninety nine a month, but yeah. they'll put like they'll basically say, "All right, Chris, thanks for the chat. All right, we're gonna now we'll do twenty minutes for Patreon, or we'll do twenty minutes for the right. subscription." Some I just can't get behind. I have nothing against that. I just can't get behind it myself. Right. Um. But I think that's mainly what it is, and other people are doing the same thing. Patreon. Uh. But it's just for extra content. It's not for everything. Okay. So that's why I like what you're doing because you're one of the only people I know that's doing that. And when I saw that, because I, I had heard you had a podcast, and I was looking for it, I couldn't find it, and then I saw it was on Patreon. I was like, that's interesting. So you get on there, and it's like, oh, okay, this makes sense. Because it's everything. Yeah, it's the, your world. I, the other thing I just came to mind was, like, I also didn't, like, it was, I, I kind of started the idea before COVID, but once COVID hit, I kind of was like, okay, now I really have some time to do this. Mm -hmm. I think that's where the bulk of the content uh came about but i kind of wanted to keep it i like the vibe of pe people not always knowing something exists and either hearing about it like you, you said or s stumbling upon it and being like what mm -hmm. holy shit fuck i can't i can't believe this exists mm -hmm. or i and i also just didn't want it to be a big because it's just me um it's not the well everybody else is kind of involved once in a while. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's kind of like a me project. So I don't want it to be a distraction to the band. Like mm -hmm. I don't want people to think it's a propaganda podcast. Mm -hmm. It only is because I'm in that band, but it's not, I'm not trying to represent the band's views or whatever, you know, I'm just representing me. And, uh, yeah, so that's sort of why I, I kept it sort of insulated from the public eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a. I think you're doing a really good job with it. I really, it's some. It's done in a way I've do, not seen done before, which is great. Um, but it's an awesome kind of just look into your world, you know. And it, but it's also helping you out at the same time. Yeah, I mean, career musician, huge help is. People don't understand how little money there is in that. 
and how hard it is to raise a family and and, and maintain a, a a life on such a small amount. Like when we were in our twenties, living off ramen noodles and 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 rice, you know, at a truck stop, unplugging a vending machine to plug in a rice cooker, just to eat. <laughs> uh, those days don't necessarily work anymore in your forties and fifties. Like once you have other mouths to feed, things change a little bit and you mm-hmm. will fight for it. But uh, it, that struggle continues. So the fact that you can, that I can get that enjoyment, which I could, you know, uh, and throw a few bucks your way, I mean, it helps everybody out. I appreciate you know? that. Dewey. It's paying for your entertainment, right? Like <laughs> it's uh, music's free now. So <laughs> there's that. You got a tour to survive. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a new world, you know, mm-hmm. and one thing I did want to talk about, though, that, that stood out to me immediately was that crate amp on your Patreon, like the carpeted yeah, crate amp. This one right here, dude. Okay, yeah. was that your first, like your first head? That was the first, like, real. Yeah, head I had, and before that, I had like, like I, I played a live show with this band Crawl in uh, 1989, and it was I had like a tiny practice amp plugged into a practice bass amp plugged into a, a bass amp from the sixties. Like I had amplification, but it was just like a fucking joke. Yeah. And so when I got the crate, I was like, wow, this is a real amp. And in some ways it is like it, but in like, if you just plug this thing in now, it sounds, I mean, it never, it, it sounds like a cheap solid state amp, uh-huh. but somehow on the um our first record how to clean everything mm-hmm. that's that's the head i used with uh eric melvin's marshall 4x12 and it fucking sounded unreal uh in my opinion i was like what the hell yeah and uh um which just goes to show you like uh-huh. like all this boutique amp stuff sometimes the best thing is what you have mm-hmm. already so um but yeah like it's still here and i had i just had it serviced last fall i think and it's right back to where it was when i first got out of the pawn shop oh that's incredible man my first amp was a crate a little combo amp and then i had a lee jackson half stack i don't remember what company made that but it was it was made by someone else but it was a lee jackson and our bass player's girlfriend's dad gave us the money for it It was 500 bucks with a cab and a head I played that for years. Well, he was, was he not a famous Marshall mod guy? Didn't Lee Jackson modify Marshall amps in Hollywood back in the day? Perhaps. Or, I, that is, that is out of my wheelhouse did, on that one. Did it one. sound I, good? It sounded terrible. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it, it was what we had. It sounded yeah. light years better and it motivated us to keep recording and keep trying because it was like, man, okay, now we're a real band. We have a half stack. I didn't know it sounded like shit then. I thought it sounded incredible. Right. But yeah. opposite to you, we did not record our first record with it, but uh, it definitely led to that first record's uh, creation. Like the the yeah. songs for it was the motivation of having real gear that we thought. Um, you know, my brother still has my original crate combo amp that we got. Like back in Mammoth Music, again in Alaska, there's a music store and an instrument store in Mammoth Music. There was. And... uh Man, the the uh, the Lee Jackson. We always joke about that now, but the fact that you had that crate that shows that collaboration too. If you put something that may be not great with something that's decent, 
mm-hmm. together they can accomplish something, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that's the collaborative. Eric Melvin's four twelve, your your solid state head, and of course it's all in your hands. You know the power is in your hands with guitar. I really feel. Yeah, and, yeah. I and Mel, Melvin, like uh, I wonder if he still has that cab. It, boy, did it sound good, dude. He might. He, yeah. That'd be something to find out. That'd be something to find out because, uh, uh, man, you know what? That'd be awesome is to put that crate <laughs> and at Melvin's 412 in the punk rock museum. Yeah. I always say this when I talked about I had Keith Morrison. I was like, dude, you got to donate that hat to the punk rock museum. But they're setting up. The, have you been there yet? No. Okay. No. But that'd be a cool donation to or at least to hold on to it is have because that that album is 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 a is a classic record in my mind. Um, well, I think I might try to fire this up again. I think it's still got some, I don't think this one maybe doesn't belong in a museum. Yeah. Take it out maybe on the road. It in a studio. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it, it, how many other records could be started with that thing? How many other yeah. careers could be started with that thing? Um, yeah. I never tried another one after that. I love that. I love that kind of stuff. Those happy accidents. Cause it's, it just, yeah, it just goes to show you like it's, it's not always important to have the best of everything and it's, yeah, it, for maybe sure. it's better. You try harder. You I think to, so. You have to press a little harder because that fretboard is awful. Or and you sound different. Old. Exactly. Makes your band sound different than everybody else. How does it feel now? Like, do you still feel like you have to make music? Like, is it still inside you enough to where you 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 play music because you have to get it out, or is it just so ingrained in your in your in your uh, in your life that you keep going? Like, I guess that's well, kind of a weird question, but I think it's always been like the the thing. I've always liked the most about being in a band is just being in the practice space. Mm-hmm. And I still like that. And, and Todd and Jordan do too. And, uh, if Sue Lynn lived here, they would presumably also like that too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if Beav wasn't a teacher, he'd also like that too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Beav and Sue Lynn both have their own musical projects mm-hmm. regardless. So they, they also do like that, but I primarily like that. I like it more than, um, playing live. Um, it's just, there's just something about it that is very enjoyable to me. Like, and then recording it and playing it back and seeing what you got is very interesting to me still. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the, it's the construction. It's the, it's the, uh, it's the building blocks, like hashing something out. That's that's interesting. I, I love it when people are more interested in that side of it because a lot of people do it because they want to get out on stage and play for people. Yeah. But not me. Yeah, that's that's incredible. I, I love that because like that's where the important stuff happens. Then you present it. But those hours and hours of laboring over this part or this tone or that's where the real magic is. That's what makes people want to come see it, is all the work that went into doing it. Cause you don't just poop out a song and and everyone wants it. well i'm sure it's happened but uh <laughs> I, it actually has happened i'm sure i'm positive of it but with you guys especially like there's so much going on and i love that intricacy and like like without love that song like incredible there's so many parts of that song that i'll just repeat just because of the like it's so calculated and perfectly executed on record it's just like, but there's so much human feel to humanity to it. It's not like I'm listening to this EDM grid music, like, which I also <laughs> enjoy some, but that stuff is so tight. This is just going to turn to an ass kissing session, but 
that stuff is so <laughs> tight that it's just like oh like that's almost even better than the song it's just how fucking like perfectly executed it is and i guarantee there had to be so much practice into that to get those parts down and that's there, what i respect about what you do the most yeah that was a tough uh like we did that one we did at the blasting room and uh bill and jason really put us through our paces mm -hmm. which i found I, I was really interested and I, I liked it i liked the the uh, high intensity vibe i know that at the time todd and beave didn't love that vibe but it really did and and i see why i know why they don't and and we still mix at the blasting room but we generally record here in winnipeg in a more casual mode um for those very reasons but I think that record is like the the tightness i think you're describing is is from that process um like we we're, we're generally a tight band because we play together a lot but yeah they squeeze a little extra tightness out of us and i think i think sonically that like it's it's a powerful sounding record i think vibe wise or memory wise for some people in the band maybe maybe squeezing out that extra tightness um wasn't as fun and and ultimately you want to associate your memories of making a record with fun memories mm -hmm. so if you miss that you know maybe maybe we, we went too far with trying to make it i don't know i just i i liked it i like doing it that way and uh but i also really like i like everyone feeling good when mm -hmm. we're in a in a recording situation so yeah it feels very real to me but that's the thing there's so many things and that's my favorite propaganda song uh spoiler alert um i listened to that song a lot after my dad passed in 2019 just because of the like the 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 grief in it and stuff like that it just spoke to me especially when you're when you're dealing with that in lifetime it really drew me back to that song but i would see like these uh, grief in colors almost as i'm listening to it but also i picture like clocks like a room full of clocks almost as those really calculated parts keep coming it's almost like being inside a watch and hmm. i kind of see music in that way like kind of visually and uh that's something i always see in my head when that song comes on it's just it's oh, so interesting and it's not even like out of this world calculated it's just executed so well um it's just like clean and but with the 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 heartstrings being pulled at the same time like it's just this weird kind of push and pull and it really helped it's one of the songs that really helped pull me through that time because it was awful oh, cool. it still is but i still you get those feelings when i listen to that and so thank you for that um, oh cheers you know next day that uncomfortableness in the studio gave some comfort to me in a horrible situation and that's kind I of the trade-off, I think, with with art. Um, and that brings me to one other thing that I wanted to ask you about, I and mean, kind of just your take on it, is why, you know, as human beings, like, over history, like, people, you know, take over places, uh, hurt people, uh, take things, steal, beat, all these awful things we do, to like get things to get to to acquire things but also we put so much effort into 
and I do this every day because I'm in construction, making something that will outlast us. Whether or not it's for like right now, of course, I'm working on a, a, a fancy hotel, which I will never be able to afford to stay in. For people to spend a lot of money to stay in and just have a, have a time. But that building's going to be here longer than I am. What do you think the, the is that something that's innately in us to try to build things or one, make things our own, but then build them or keep them to last longer than we are? what that pursuit is about, or if you agree with that hmm. pursuit. I know it's kind of a huge question, but it's something I was really thinking about today as I was thinking about this conversation. Um, you know, I feel like it's kind of human nature to try to have things outlast ourselves, whether it's kids, uh, artwork, uh, structures, infrastructure, land, homesteads. Um, it's like we're always trying to acquire these things or build these things to to be there when we're gone, which when I believe we won't be caring about when we're gone because we won't know about it. But while we're alive, we really want to have that promise of future. Um, super broad question. I'm sorry, but no, what, no, what is your I, take on that? I, if you geez. have one. Um, well, I, the first thing that maybe comes to mind, like I, I don't have, I don't even know what I think of this. This is just an impulse answer is that we, as a, like I'm thinking maybe North America specifically, but mm -hmm. Western cultural culture in particular, perhaps is, um, spiritually bereft a little bit in the sense that, um, we don't, we don't really have meaning in the same way that our ancestors did. Um, and as a result of that, we, look for other things to replace it. And when I, I'm not saying necessarily like a, a religious belief, it's just, you know, a, like a connection to the universe and to nature. A lot of us don't really have much of one. And we certainly don't, certainly a lot of us are, we don't have communities that are uh, encouraging us to, to, understand or believe in a connection, you know, like an interconnection of all people and the universe. Um, so we look for other things and society is very quick to offer us replacement parts and they're mostly cheap and useless and temporary. And, um, and we are sad and probably mentally ill as a society as a result. Mm -hmm. So that's probably why we, you know, like I'm, people also, people also like to build things that have meaning and they hope they, that meaning carries over. Um, like not, not all of it has to be bad. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of art maybe mm -hmm. is motivated by, by a, an intuitive spiritual connection that people have with, with the universe. Um, but a lot of the negative things that are happening in society, I think, are, are stand-ins for what a lot of our ancestors, um, a way of life they were just born into, and they didn't deal with ideas of success and failure and death and finality the same way we do. Mm -hmm. um, again, I'm just making this up as I'm going along. I have no idea if I'll even 
believe in this five minutes from now, but that's what comes to mind. And uh, yeah, I think as we all get older, like we, you know, I'm in my fifties now, some of this stuff, like I would have laughed at what I'm saying right now, 20 years ago, like laughed in my fucking face. But at, at, as life goes on and, and, and you realize uh, you come to terms with the fact that uh, of your own mortality and you start wondering what is important, you know, you, you start to see what is a replacement part for what's missing in your life that your ancestors most likely had mm -hmm. to, to survive, to get, to get your genetic material to this point in time. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm just fucking talking shit now. No, that's incredibly profound, actually. Like, <laughs> I was trying not to just be like, that's exactly what I'm looking for, is that I didn't even think about, is that we're trying to fill this. We have everything now, and we're trying to fill the void because we have nothing really that, not nothing, but we have very, a lot less stuff that really matters. We have a lot of static and a lot of, uh, mm. traffic and a lot of interference like we're constantly getting barraged with you know my phone sitting on the other side of the table and this i love this show because i shut off there's lights on me yes for the camera just so it looks doesn't look like shit but i'm 100 focused on you like what we're doing right now it's the only time in my life i'm that way i can't do that elsewhere because everyone's right. a distraction all i hear is our voices and some breathing probably on my end but I, it's kind of like being in an isolation tank. Like it's focused. Like that's it. It's, this is it right now. Um, when I leave here tonight, I'm going to be getting the truck and go home and I'm going to, you know, other cars, lights, sounds, people, distraction. Right. And so I think what you're saying, like really touched on something here where before when all these things didn't matter and it was just life survival moving from place to place as uh, there's no food left here. Let's move on. But the whole time you're in that small tribe of people, your community that's keeping you motivated and keeping you engaged. But everything you did that day mattered because it kept you alive. It wasn't killing time until you get home. It wasn't killing time until you got to go to work. It wasn't twiddling your thumbs. You were, you were, all the things you can just go get now you were making yourself you know you had you weren't spoiled for choice you had what mm -hmm. you had and that was life but now that we've seen that can we ever go now that we've seen what we can get to now can we ever go back to that probably not you know well we'll probably get back there but not by choice yeah we'll probably get back there because an actual collapse will occur mm -hmm. and it'll be a horrible transition That'll be sort of like a Cormac McCarthy novel. And mm -hmm. if life survive, human life survives it, um, perhaps, perhaps there, it will live again. I mean, there are, there are still isolated communities on, on the planet that, uh, intentionally still live, um, unlike us. Um, they live the old ways, the, the good ways. And, um, and I think that's part of what's kind of exciting about, um, indigenous North America, 
um, the resurgence of indigenous culture and reclaiming their languages and reclaiming their ways and it becoming, this is happening in Canada specifically. I'm not sure if it's happening in America so much, mm-hmm. but in Canada, um, it's, it's hard not to see it, like even in pop culture. And I, th- I think it's, it's a good thing. And, um, because if you could somehow, if the general population could somehow, I guess it's, I don't know, just talking shit again. I mean, people have had many opportunities through many different ideas to, to think about how we live and we still choose to live like morons. But, uh, I don't know. I, I kind of, it gives me a little bit of hope. Um, when I see, um, the inroads that indigenous people have, have made in such a short amount of time compared to when I was a kid and how they were, how indigenous people were, were perceived by the average Canadian, which was like, you know, negative in totality. And now it's, it's, it's shifted and like there's indigenous voices all over the place in, in pop culture, mainstream culture that I, you know, kind of tune into once in a while. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to, that's a huge benefit, uh, compared to what the, the deficit of those voices we had before. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I got to that, but, uh, this is what this is all about. That's why there's okay. no, this, this is why sometimes they get off to a rocky start, but it's always interesting because there's no prep. It's just, let's see what happens. And that <laughs> keeps it interesting as well as doing it in your car or whatever else. Like it's got to stay pure. Like, even if it goes terribly bad, I, that's my worst fear is wasting someone's time. And, uh, I really don't ever want to do that, but if it's real and genuine, I feel good about putting it out every week. And, uh, it gives me something to think about that. And it keeps me engaged in the conversation. Cause I'm not thinking about the next question. Um, so I love, I love stuff like this, just hashing out ideas and throwing things around. Um, but man, Chris, I want to be respectful of your time here. We've already just gone over an hour, but I know it's later where you're at, but, uh, much. man, I thank you so much for spending this time with me, man. I really appreciate it. you could have been doing anything else and you spent it with me and I really appreciate that. And that little, well, I was never little, but that, that teenage kid laying on that couch in that trailer and while still Alaska in the dead of winter, listening to propaganda, if I could tell myself, you know in a number of years, we're going to be hanging out on a, on a zoom call, hashing out ideas about life. Um, I would thought I was crazy, but, um, it kind of comes full circle and it's really cool, uh, to be able to spend the time with you, man. And, and thank you for the insights and, and just the kick-ass music and just being a good person. Um, it, it, ex- it expands way further than, you know, I think. Well, cheers, um, dude. I appreciate that. And right back at you. And I also, just want to reiterate, I very much appreciate your patience in this coming together. Um, yeah. And, ha- and giving me the time much appreciated. Absolutely. My friend. And, and, uh, thank you so much and, and, uh, feel free to keep in touch You can hash out more ideas, do a part two down the road, but, uh, best of luck to you and your family and your community. And, uh, yeah, thank you for all the music. It's, it's really got me through a lot of things and, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's no small feat to what you're doing and have done with your life. So, um, cheers to you. Right on. Cheers, Dewey. All right. Take care, brother. We'll, we'll talk right soon. On. All Thank right. You. Nice meeting you, man. Nice meeting you too. Bye. 
All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Chris Hanna from Propagandi. Many thanks to him for coming on. Many thanks to Daniel G. Harmon for hooking us up together from DistroKid, uh, who has become a great friend of mine over the last couple of years uh, and a strong supporter of the podcast and what we do. He has a huge part in this podcast coming to you every week, uh, and I can't thank him enough for that. It truly, truly keeps this thing going, uh, his support and uh yeah, I can't I can't thank him enough. Uh, the fact that he brought on an amazing guest that I was not able to get in touch with, like Chris, is uh, also a kick-ass thing. So thanks to Daniel for that uh, and many other things. Uh, thanks to you guys for coming back week after week. Um, I really got a lot from this conversation. Um, it's really cool just digging into people's life. Um, you know, maybe it's intrusive. I don't know. It, it just seems like as you listen to these conversations is because I listen to them just like you guys do. I don't go back and listen to them later, but I listen to them as they're happening. I listen to the other person and I, and I don't sit and necessarily wait for the right time. The right time presents itself. Um, I've found that process to, to be effective where I will sit and listen. And when something hits me, uh, it kind of just goes into the index and we dive into that. Um, but I feel like as a conversationalist, you get a lot more from listening than talking yourself. So, you know, sometimes in the first 10, 15 minutes, it's kind of a get to know you thing. And, and sometimes you have to keep the ball in the air a little bit and talk a little too much, um, which I'm, I'm guilty of doing. Absolutely. But once things even out and you get into the groove, um, you can pull so much from from the other person if you just listen. So. Um, you know, maybe, maybe if you talk too much in life, this is just, just a stupid little soapbox. But if you, if you feel like you're talking too much, just sit back and listen, listen to the sounds of the world, listen to the sounds of where you're at, listen to someone talking, you know, next to you or to you, you know, you get a lot more from listening, uh, than speaking, which is, which is uh, something I've really found to be true. So maybe, maybe, uh, give that a shot and see how things go for you and, and in, in your life and in your conversations and in, in your relationships. Um, you know, just be a good listener and I think the world will open up for you. Um, that's something I've learned over the last few years is, is just really just sit back and listen. Um, you know, it applies to a lot of things, you know, sit and think about something before you react, think about something before you say it. Um, just take time. I mean, time is precious and we don't have a lot of it, but uh, I think things can be a lot more effective if we sit back for a second and uh and think before we react um think before we speak listen before we speak um anyway i'm just looking out a beautiful window of downtown portland and feeling very good and and uh happy to be alive happy to be with you guys and uh thank you so much for listening to this um this episode if you listen this far uh maybe you like what i have to say i don't know but thank you as well check this out on youtube if you want to watch the video version of this conversation um, rate, review, subscribe, give the rate, give a review on Apple podcasts if you can, or a rating on Spotify. It really, really helps the show out. And, and guys, I really, truly mean that, that I cannot, the show would not be what it is without you. And, uh, I appreciate each and every one of you. I love you very much. Um, and I just want you to have a good day and, uh, a good week. And I'm gonna keep plugging away at this thing to try to keep you entertained in your, you know, your graveyard shift or your lawn mowing or basket weaving or screen for whatever you're doing when you listen to this, doing dishes, um, long drive by yourself with people, um, sitting in a cell somewhere. Um, you know, I, I just, 
I'm glad I can be here with you in, in some shape or form in this world. So uh, I'm going to get out of here and get back to work, keep building more episodes and more content. And, and uh, yeah, that's all I got, guys. As always, we'll see you on the radio. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.